Welcome to Shine, a child and youth development podcast brought to you by Catalyst Family Inc. I am Valerie Kelly, and with me is my co host, Allie Ladio. If you are a parent, teacher, or work in a childcare setting, our podcast is for you. On Shine, we interview experts in child and youth development, share helpful parenting resources and advice, and provide you with inspiring stories as well as practical advice for supporting your family, community, classroom, and beyond. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. Joining us today are our dual language learning experts, Lizelle Wolf, Carla Delgado, and Jennifer Escamilla. They previously joined us for an interview over on our Connection Hub last year, where we initially learned about the DLL program. You can find it over on our website at Catalyst kids.org slash connection hub. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, nearly half of California households represent multilingual families, and we recognize the increased significance of supporting our multilingual families here at Catalyst. And let's go ahead and start off with by uh, telling me about your roles and how you got involved in the DLL project in partnership with uh, CSU Channel Islands. Well, my name is Jennifer Escamilla. I'm a center manager for the Wainimi sites, uh, Fred Williams, Haycox, and Wainimi. And um, previously before that, I was a site supervisor at Rio Del Norte out in the uh, El Rio area. And I was attending at CSUCI. And so we had learned a lot about, uh, you know, DLL strategies. And so that really brought my interest. Um, and then we connected with the university, and we had actually tried out some strategies. So ever since then, um, you know, it's really helped support our centers. Um, my name is Carla Delgado. I'm also a center manager. I'm uh, for the Rio sites, and I oversee um, Rio Real, now Del Norte, and Del Mar. And um, how we got involved is uh, we, about five, six years ago, we started on a campus at Rio Real that is a dual emergent elementary. Um, and so when we first got on campus, we, you know, I wanted to know a little bit more on the dual immersion and dual language and get more information on that. So we partner up with LaSalle uh, back two, three years ago, and uh, we are currently now piloting the 50-50 model um, after we partnered up with CSU Channel Islands, uh, where most of my teachers were involved in the DLL project. And that's where we are now. And my name is Lizelle Wolf. I am the program quality manager in the Oxnard Ventura region, so I support the region with improving program quality. Uh, when I joined the agency about three and a half years ago, our senior program director, uh, Rachel Champagne, introduced me to Dr. Carola Oliva Olson uh, because she knew about my uh, background in multilingual learners. And Dr. Oliva Olson is a prominent expert in DLLs around the state and the country. Uh, and months later, uh, Dr. Oliva Olson and her team actually got the DLL professional development funding from CDE and she asked her agency if we would like if we would be interested in the project and with the leadership support of our agency uh, we joined in uh, and I think that that partnership and the leadership support in that because it's such a 
new project, uh, I think it really showed our commitment to be responsive to our communities. Because as you said, uh, nearly half, I think it's 60% right now of California households have uh, a home language other than English. So it really shows that we are responsive to our communities and we are willing to improve on our uh, on our strategies to support them in a more intentional way. I'm curious about your partnership with CSU Channel Island. Uh, how did this partnership impact your program's uh, approach in supporting DLLs? So from kind of an overview, from an education department perspective for the agency, that partnership with CSU Channel Islands really helped us to have a good foundation and good framework to follow when it comes to supporting multilingual learners within our programs. It helped us know how to guide teachers within the process since the focus of the project was professional development for teachers who are serving preschool um, and infant toddler children. So now within our agency, we have some online training and new materials that we have within the agency that supports multilingual learners. So we really got a lot of information and strategies from that partnership that we're now using to support our teachers so that they can better support our multilingual learners. Uh, but Jennifer and Carla can, can talk a little bit more about about, um, how that impacted their specific programs. This is Jennifer. So I could share that specifically at, at Real Del Norte. We had a combination of different families, uh, some who spoke Hindi. We had Russian, Spanish, and English. And so we were always challenged with how do we support, you know, different families coming in um, and speak a language that, that we are unable to. And so this specific program with the university have actually, it, it was so great because it opened our eyes to so many strategies like, um, you know, how to read to them and, you know, um, do specific documentation for them and really include the families and help, um, you know, establish those relationships. So with that being said, we had actually um, worked with some families and really came up with a small committee of how they can we can work together and support the families. So before we knew it, um, you know, families were bringing in documentation of that of theirs to help support children. For example, in the writing center, they were bringing pictures with words from their home language. So I found that really. Um, you know, impactful for the families and teachers, all of us. And then for us at Rio Riel, um, it, it was more being on a campus that was already doing the dual immersion. They are, their um, motto is a 90-10. So for us, it was more wanting to partner up with our elementary with um, that we are currently on. Um, and so since they were already, families already knew that elementary is a model and it's a 90, 90 Spanish, 10% English when they enter kinder, we wanted to kind of contribute to that to when, uh, with the preschoolers. Um, so we were trying to find a way that we can still be part of, um, that model, but also still with catalysts and, and, in our philosophy and how can we kind of join both. Um, so we were more of a 50, 50, um, model where it's 50% Spanish, 50 English, um, just because that's what the community, uh, we were serving, uh, being on the campus at Rio Real. And so that was just more of a partnership we wanted to, uh, come across. 
Awesome. Very cool. Um, AB1363 uh, is aiming to have a system to, to identify DLLs in early childhood programs. How are DLLs currently identified and what are some of the unique challenges this might present? That's a good question because this is a very re recent uh, AB. And I think what comes with that AB is defining what DLLs actually are. I know we've been talking about them a little bit today, but in terms of that AB and really what the state's definition of a DLL is, it's, it's children who are birthed through five years old, so basically early childhood years, who are, who are enrolled in California state preschool programs and is learning two or more languages at the same time, or who is continuing to develop their home language, for example, Spanish, while learning a second language, which is English. So that would be mostly uh, what Carla's uh, program would have. The children would have Spanish uh, learn that they're learning at home, and they come into their school, into their preschool program, and they're also learning English now. So it could be both languages that they're learning from birth or they already learned a home language and they're learning a new one when they come into a program. So th that's how the state defines what a DLL is. Um, and we, we, we were saying earlier multilingual learners, and that's more of an umbrella term for all children, any age, basically anyone who's in the preschool program or K-12 system who are called English learners in that system that is has a different home language than English. And so with that, uh, with that definition, that's really what AB 1363 is focusing on is that uh, to have a system to identify and report uh, data about DLLs, again, this is zero to five years old, that includes the preschoolers, home language and languages of the staff that actually support them. So that bill, based on how it's it's written, is only uh, covering children who are enrolled in the within the state preschool program. Uh, and right now, there's really no unified system that does this. So within our agency, the children and the families during enrollment, they are they provide their home language information during enrollment. And then within our programs, the teachers use the family language survey interview uh, to get to know the families a little deeper, especially when it comes to their feelings, experiences, and background when it comes to language so that we can better support their children within the program. And I think right now, one of the biggest challenges is that there's really not a clear unified system within the state to do this. So that makes accountability difficult. So we really are not sure how many DLLs are within the state. And if you look at different um, counties or different um, numbers online, if you look it up, it's not always consistent and that makes it difficult um, and so if there is a system in place within the state of how do we do this um, purposefully then it will be easier to track how well we're actually supporting DLLs and I think that would also help with funding um, funding you know schools that support more DLLs than others maybe and I think the other good thing about that that will come out is that this data could be shared with the K-12 systems which would help transitioning families into the system because there are some inconsistencies when you look at how 
um, we report the numbers to the state of how many children we have who are DLLs, and then K to 12 systems saying how many ELLs they have. Like there shouldn't be an inconsistency because the same families go into the system. <laughs> so that's been a challenge for years. And that's actually one of the exercises we learned from Channel Islands is figuring out, like looking at the data from what, you know, first five or your local planning council has about the number of children who are DLLs. And then you look at the uh, numbers that you're K to 12 school district has, and you see a huge inconsistency with both of the numbers. And you're wondering, okay, it's the same children going into the system. Why is it reported differently? And I think we're grateful that finally the state is recognizing that there's that inconsistency and that it needs to be fixed. So it's pretty exciting to see um, that uh, they're recognizing that that was a challenge and that they're trying to rectify that. Perfect. Um... So we recognize that each center's DLL program is different and unique. Would you be able to tell us uh, what the DLL process looks like in each of your centers? Uh, what, what does the daily routine look like and what kinds of strategies do you use to support DLLs and their families? For uh, Rio Real, our, um, at our program, what it looks like, it's a 50-50 model, which what that means it's 50% English, 50% Spanish. And in case of like the part, my part day uh, program where children go in for three hours, it's um, one full day. So Monday would be Spanish, Tuesday, English, Wednesday, Spanish, Thursday, English, and there, um, and it continues that, that um, model. And so what it looks like is um, the whole instruction, teachers' instructions, teachers um, talking with the children, talking with each other, it's all done in that specific language. Um, one way we, one strategy is a visual where if the teachers are wearing a green, a green scarf, or anything green, um, sometimes it's a scarf, sometimes it's like a scrunchie on their wrist that indicates it's Spanish day. So it's more of a visual for not only the children, but it's also a visual for teachers, um, for uh, ones walking into the classroom, kind of visually seeing, okay, green, they're wearing green, it must be Spanish day. And that really keeps us um, focused on the language of the day. Um, throughout the classroom, you also see uh, labels. All the materials are labeled in both English and Spanish. And uh, Spanish is actually coded in um, green as well. So you'll see that throughout the, the classroom. Um, so that's pretty much what, what you'll see, what the environment looks like. And then, um, and we share this also with our parents. So in monthly calendars we remind them what each day is whether it's english or spanish and just having that communication go back and forth so for the site that i'm at currently uh at wainimi we have a child who speaks um, home languages is chinese so when you walk in you'll probably see dialogic reading um done with uh, the group of children. So, for example, um, the teacher will prepare specific keywords, um, about five words that they'll focus on, and that'll be done in her home language. But before we do that, um, we usually give that book to the family 
to prepare on what, um, how the words are pronounced and said and what they mean. Um, so we kind of prepare ourselves, put the, you might see a little index card in the book on what we're really focusing on. Um, as far as the labeling, you know, labeling throughout the environment, um, kind of like Carla was sharing, it's color coded, um, depending what the home languages are. So again, you know, you might see blue all in Spanish and English is all yellow and green, um, possibly Chinese um, for each family. So there's also some documentation up on the walls um, and that is reviewed by the families in their home language. So we want to make sure that, you know, as much as possible that we are... Um, you know, meeting the needs also the families that come in there and they can also look at the documentation too in their home languages. And as much as we can also on, you know, newsletters too, any um, documentation going out to the families. This podcast is presented to you by Catalyst Family Inc., parent company of Catalyst Kids. Catalyst is the largest nonprofit childcare organization in California, and we encourage children's unique development through play-based learning, support busy families through quality care, and strengthen communities by providing a safe place for every child to thrive, offering daycares, preschools, and after-school programs, camps, and beyond. Find us at catalystkids.org. Awesome. So it sounds like each center is definitely very unique, uh, very different, and very diverse. What are some ways that we ensure inclusivity at the centers and meeting the needs of the children at each individual center and for families? So I think as a whole, as an agency, most of our preschool programs follow a language model called English with Home Language Support, which means that we usually speak to and instruct children in English, right? And if the staff speak the child's home language, we support, the staff support that child specifically in that language. So kind of like what, a combination of what Carla and Jennifer have mentioned. And I think the way that we really ensure inclusivity at the centers and meeting the, the specific needs of children at each individual center is knowing who we are serving. And that really kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier is identifying the DLLs in our programs and what languages they speak. So one way that we uh, ensure that we are inclusive is to know who they are. So we do this by doing that family language survey interview with families because that survey um, interview really talks about like who does this child spend time with, what language are they uh, exposed to, how do you feel about the child um you know, uh, developing their home language? How do you feel about English? You know, all these different questions that really dig a little deeper into the feelings, experiences, and background of families when it comes to language, because we believe that's important in being inclusive. So we're not just diverse. We also care about what families care about. And so uh, when we know that deeply because of this interview, the survey interview, then we partner with families to ensure that that home language is still spoken and developed at home. We let them know how important home language is and that that's the foundation for learning another language. And then within the, the center is kind of what Jennifer and Carla were saying. Then we use strategies within the program to be inclusive of the children and the families and the communities within the program. So you won't, you won't see like posters of like, 
you know, um, random children, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> something you buy from a store that's posted on the wall because we want to be diverse. No, you will see pictures and family uh, of families and the community within the classroom represented. So whoever is in that program is who's represented in that program. You'll see kind of what Jennifer and Carla were saying, the labels all around the room for materials, for baskets, for furniture, they are in the languages that the children that we know that the children and families speak. So if no one there speaks Spanish, why label in Spanish? Right. But if they speak um, English and English and Mandarin or Ch Mandarin Chinese, then the labels will be in, um, in those languages. So we are specific and intentional about that. We don't just do it because we think that looks nice, but we are, uh, we are really, really intentional to serve the community that we are in. And, um, what Carla was talking about earlier is that Rio Real, they have the 50-50 program, 50% Spanish, 50% English. And that really came about from knowing who their community is. So we are inclusive because we didn't just, they didn't just say, oh, let's do Spanish and English because we speak Spanish and English. No, they really surveyed that community and they know that, that community and the children they serve and families they serve are, this is their home language in that area. And so they really uh, wanted to be inclusive of the community they're in. So, and that's actually a, a really good model to use when you know that the community you serve has a, a, the same home language. And those language models that I was talking about, they matter because they really help ensure the quality that the children get the quality of language exposure and the quantity of language exposure. And that helps with their um, language development. So I think that's just kind of a general idea of how we make sure that we have inclusive centers when it comes to dual language learners. And um, some of the other things that Jennifer and Carla were saying earlier really speak to that fact of, you know, understanding that families are the experts in their home language is what Jennifer was saying earlier. You know, we can't, we can't try to, you know, Google translate everything. <laughs> I think she has an experience with that of they Google translated something and the, the, the family just laughed because it just didn't make sense. Um, so we have to be respectful of families and we have to use them as experts. We're not, we're not having to do this on our own. There are partners. So I think that's kind of the, the, the main goal is to make sure that families are our partners when it comes to, um, to supporting their children in our programs because they really know about their culture, they know about their language, and we're here to support them and make sure that they are uh, they are included and they they feel acknowledged and respected in our programs. That's actually a really great point that you brought up, and I know for us when we respond to inquiries from parents on Yelp, we didn't always have. Um, translators are the right resources to be able to, you know, respond to certain inquiries that they would, you know, maybe they would come in uh, um, with the Spanish inquiry um, or Chinese, um, and then we wouldn't have the right resources to respond. And so I know for us as a team to be able to respond to those families is so, is so important because as you mentioned, Google Translate is not accurate. <laughs> So it's just um, been amazing to be able to be able to bring that on um, and be able to, you know, be able to help those families that are reaching out to us that way. Um, because especially now, um, it's a lot of families are following us on, on YouTube or social media, and we want to make sure that, you know, we can connect with them. So I think that's so important. And speaking to families, what is the role that families play when it comes to DLL? I think it, uh, it's 
really having that relationship with the families from the beginning and making them, you know, feel really welcome and really open to, you know, learning more about their family. The uniqueness of each family is very important to our programs. And I can give a little example of that, you know, that I've had this school year since I've been at the Wyoming site. The family that, um, you know, home language, home language is Chinese. They had recently celebrated the, um, the Lunar New Year. And when I had talked to mom, because the, her daughter came in such a beautiful outfit um, for that specific day. And, you know, we had taken pictures of, you know, her coming in, you know, to celebrate. And I had talked to the mom and she was telling me, she said, oh, yes, you know, later on, we're going for, you know, to celebrate with our family and we're going to have noodles. And she talked to me about a whole, um, you know, the importance of having noodles and talked about the longer the noodles are, it means more longevity, you know, for you. So I think it goes back to us as teachers, you know, learning more about the families, more than what we probably ever thought that we did, you know, and the uniqueness of learning their, um, the traditions that they have for the family. And with that being said, she had also shared with us that she felt she was so thankful that we were asking about, um, you know, her family and what they do, um, you know, at home for celebrations that they have. And, she came back with us um, the day after some photos of the family and um, specific words of, you know, specific things that they did for that event. So I think it's like I say, it's going back to making sure that you have a connection with the family and the teachers, you know, feel comfortable and, you know, vice versa, asking each other questions about, um, you know, the language, if how they can be supportive of that. And, and having the families feel, you know, um, we, we want to know about their language. We encourage that, um, you know, before, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we were able to ask um, parents uh, to come into the classrooms and, and read uh, stories um, in their home language or to share ideas or traditions um, and just encouraging them to to share that with us. We, we wanted to learn more about their traditions, their celebrations, um, and, and to bring, bringing that more into, to the classroom. Um, now it's just finding a way to do that, whether it's, uh, you know, during, uh, through zoom, maybe, um, we're still trying to find out ways in, in which we can have those, um, interactions still, but, you know, still with the communication with the parents and still letting them know we we're we're interested. We want to know more about that. Um, and sometimes the families don't, you know, at first they, they don't want to share, um, but just having the constant communication and them, you know, um, trusting in us and, 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 the, and the classrooms, I think we get a little bit more of, of that as well. 
And I think too, another big role that families play, as I, as I said, and kind of uh, both ladies alluded to is that the families are the experts in their culture and their language. Like I was saying earlier, we can't always know everything about everything. <laughs> and that's, you know, a good attitude to have, especially when it comes to DLLs, because we can't just have kind of this like, you know, field trip of different cultures by learning about them through books. Sure we can, but that's not the only way to learn about, um, about uh, cultures and families and languages that are already in our programs. They can be the experts in it. Like Jennifer said, you know, use those natural opportunities that come, um, where, you know, the child came in in such a beautiful outfit, talk about it, ask questions. And I think, you know, that, that, that in itself, that that uh, story that Jennifer shared really shows you how we value families in our programs, that we would love to learn more from them because we believe that they're the best people to learn this from. Uh, we can't just learn it from a book and read books to the kids and tell them about Lunar New Year. No, the child can tell everyone else about Lunar New Year and what they do and their traditions and what they say during Lunar New Year and what noodles mean for them. And I think the other reason too, that families are good experts is because home language loss is very real when it comes to children, especially when they leave our programs, our preschool programs, and they go into kindergarten and on in their K to 12 system. There's, there's this phenomenon called um, home language loss and they, uh, as they're learning uh, um, English and, and speaking it more with their peers at school in elementary schools, what tends to happen is they have this preference because that's what's spoken at school. And so then they get into this, you know, kind of battle in their minds of like, well, I don't want to speak, you know, if their home language is Mandarin, I don't want to speak Mandarin anymore because my friends don't understand that. Right. So there's this, that, that, that typically happens with children just because of that peer influence, social influence and children are, such social beings and um the families that the, the role that they play is to make sure that they they their children are really um they have a really strong foundation in their home language because that's so important for children to develop a new language. Um, anything that the child learns from their home language, their their the strategies, the um the uh, they transfer those skills into a new language. So when you're set in your home language, it's easier to learn other languages. And in the young ages that we serve in the preschool program, that's even more important because they are they are just um, more open and more, you know, their development is just better when it comes to learning a new language. But it's important to have that good foundation uh, for everything else to build on. And that's why I'm saying it's foundational because it's really everything is building on that home language language, all of their uh, literacy skills, um, all of their uh, other language skills, even their social emotional skills are building on those, um, on their experiences at home. So just uh, their, the, the families really are our, our partners in this. We can only do so much within a preschool program in six to eight hours that we have them. And then partnering with families who have them the rest of the time is really important. So they have that well-rounded experience in, in their home language and also in a new language. I love that. And I agree. It definitely takes a village and we love seeing um, involvement from families and our communities. And so as we kind of close up, is there anything specific that we'd like to leave uh, 
for families or even for educators, any resources, anything that you can think of? Well, I think I would love to, you know, always remind families kind of what I was saying earlier with the other question. Uh, Multilingualism, biliteracy, bilingualism, it has so many benefits for children, you know, cognitive wise in their brain development, language wise, because they're going to know more than one language, economic more and more now, uh, you know, anyone who is out in a job market that speaks another language is more preferable than someone who doesn't. Right. And there's some benefits that come with that. And then for us, especially that we're, you know, thinking of preschoolers, social emotional well-being of, of children really is important with with uh, bilingualism and biliteracy because a home language for children, especially in the younger ages, uh, is really deeply rooted in their um, social emotional well-being and what I mean by that is that their self-esteem is tied to that their uh, their knowledge of who they are is tied to that and it really is it really does help a child to be strong in their not just in their language but in their identity in these years uh, that they are with us in the years that they're so young. So it's really important for families to remember that they're the myths that are there that have persisted for some reason over the years that, Oh, they're going to be so confused if they learn two languages, or I don't want them to be behind if they learn this language, or I just want them to learn English because that's all they're going to need in school. No, they're going to need your home language. They're going to need that as a foundation for everything they're going to experience in life. And one of those uh, most important um, benefits of that is that they are strong in their identity of who they are um, because you know their experiences is all deeply cultural uh, what they're learning is deeply linguistic so talk as a, at first five would say, would say saying talk and read to your child in your home language because it's really important they're not going to be confused they're not going to be behind right they're going that's just going to help them in their development there's a lot of research out there that shows how many benefits there are for, for, for adults who are biliterate and, bi, and bilingual. I would say for families, you know, we're here for you and, you know, we're willing to learn anything. And as far as the teachers, I would say it's okay to let the families, you know, teach us, um, you know, certain things that we don't know. And if you let, you know, let them teach us, their traditions and celebrations and, you know, learning more about their, their home language. It's really fun, actually, because, you know, you learn so much from each family's uniqueness um, about, you know, what what is happening and celebrations and traditions, like I say, their language at home. So I, I feel that we can learn both from each other um, seems to be what is most fun for both of us. All right, perfect. It looks like we're making good time. Um, I want to thank each one of you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed learning more about the dual, the dual learners program, dual language learners program, and we will be sure to leave more information in our podcast footnotes. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Shine, inspiring conversations around children, family, and early child development. 
please subscribe so that you don't miss an episode and connect with us. You can find us at catalystkids.org slash shine. Thank you.